I personally look for what kind of uh, passion or the hunger that yeah. person has, yeah. no matter what kind of question is thrown at this person. Hey everyone, it's David Bombal, back with a very special guest. I'm really excited about this interview. I know a lot of you live in India, large Indian audience watching my videos, and I really wanna thank you for that. I wanna change sort of the video today and invite a very special guest from India. Pallavi, welcome. Thank you, David. It's an honor to be here. Looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, very much so. So tell, tell the audience and tell me a bit about yourself and why you can speak to the very special topic that we're going to talk about today, which is, you know, why are Indian people so successful in Silicon Valley and how can you advise someone who wants to be successful like you? Thank you very much um, for saying those kind words. I think success is something that you probably define for yourself. Yeah. And, um, yep. you know, I always keep looking up and thinking that I have so much more to do and I'm really not that successful. But I guess it, it depends really on the perspective, but thank you for those kind words. Just a little bit about myself. Uh, Pallavi Srinivasa is my full name. I've done bachelors of engineering. I went to the US to study masters, then uh, joined Cisco as a user experience engineer in a customer advocacy group. And at a time when uh, you know, I had to explain what user-centered design meant or what human factors engineering meant to my friends, my family, my colleagues, it was a fantastic uphill battle. When I started studying this in the university, I really felt that this was really nice subject because you had to not only learn about technology, you had to also understand about the users that will be using technology. But when I got to the real world, I was like, man, this is uphill battle is fine, yeah. but this is too much of an uphill battle. But it was fun, uh, challenging, but very fun. And then I realized that, um, Someday, you know, I, I want to run a business. I want to be able to, um, you know, own a business. How do I get to that space? Since I was at Cisco uh, and I was part of the user experience engineer, engineering group, I had to know about what Cisco is doing, the networking domain and, and things like that. But to get into the core aspect of Cisco, I went and studied, uh, you know, took up CCNA, CCNP, even went, uh, so by the time I completed CCNA and CCNP, I was also in parallel talking to our engineering groups, uh, technical marketing engineering division to, uh, to get into that group. And people had seen my work on the user experience front. I had, you know, few supporters yeah. and uh, they felt that I could do the job of technical marketing engineer. And I got a role uh, within Cisco after a couple of certifications. Then I thought I should do CCIE. And I, I keep saying this, I don't know how you want to take it, but I keep saying I'm a CCIE uh, fail. Whenever people say, you have a CCIE, I said, does CCIE fail count? You paid for that very expensive lunch at Cisco. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, I, I just realized I didn't practice it well and I'm not that fast. Right? It's not about the difficulty of questions, it's about how fast you can uh, you know, figure it out and get it done. But then I was also in parallel uh, talking to other organizations 
and um, had an opportunity to become a product manager with a uh, fantastic product line, Catalyst 6500. A very famous one, yeah. Very famous one and had that opportunity and very grateful for that. Uh, got to learn from so many people, such brilliant minds in that group. Was also a product manager for Catalyst 4500. And this was all, you know, once I studied in the U.S., this was all uh, the work experience in the U.S. By this time, it was almost a, a decade um, that I had started working um, at Cisco and a lot of things had changed personally as well. And then there was a, um, a very critical personal reason for which we had to uh, move to India. And um, when I moved back to India, what the thought process in my mind was, um, you know, I like being responsible for a business. I like the numbers aspect. I like working with customers. And at that time, this was about more than a decade back. At that time, um, in India, if you're talking about the tech world, it's uh, engineering or sales. Uh, there was no product management as such. Since I liked the customer aspect, I said, why don't I look at the sales um, division? And again, um, you know, after pursuing for a few months, um, was able to get into sales as a specialist selling data center products uh, because of the background that I had. Yeah. It's such a fun experience when um, when you think that you've, you're, I, I'm born and brought up in Bangalore. I was coming back to Bangalore. And in my mind, I was thinking, oh, this, you know, working in Bangalore should be a piece of cake. What I didn't realize was I didn't grow up in India as an adult. By the time, uh, you know, what legally you're an adult, I was in the U.S. studying. I hadn't really worked in India. And I, being in sales gives you the true, true exposure yeah. to what it is in working in India. Uh, you go explain technology to the customer. You go talk to them about it. You go understand their business. And they all, you know, sit and talk to you. They mean well. And at the end of the day, they say, how much does it cost? <laughs> That's and, a big question. Uh, it's an important, it's <laughs> yeah. an important factor. I mean, yeah. Yeah. across the world, it is it, more so in India, right? Yeah. Um, so <laughs> you sit there and go, "Oh my God, I spoke so much, and <laughs> this is the end question." So it was a very, very learning experience, and by that I mean that particular year that I was in sales, uh, India's <laughs> Cisco sales didn't do very well. Of course, due to macroeconomic situation, not because of the sales team. Yeah. Um, so that's why I keep yeah. calling it a learning year. When you, you know, when your revenues are not growing, you have to go to every single customer and talk to them about these things. And you understand human personalities in those times. So that gave me a huge exposure. And then I, uh, I got a, you know, I looked at what else can I do and. Uh, in terms of market strategy, business development was opening up back in the business unit in Cisco, India. So I moved back, had a fantastic manager um, as an SVP of engineering who guided in many ways. And then um, had an opportunity to, again, be part of the team that launched intent-based networking with Catalyst 9K. Wow. Um, yep. And wow. Um, yep. now I'm looking at uh, the ultra-low-end uh, business uh, within Cisco which I guess uh, there's very few people that are aware of it. It's a Cisco business product line. Yep. Um, and yep. you know, looking at that and figuring out how do we uh, you know, grow that market 
for Cisco. And as we, you know, world digitizes more and more, how do we increase that pie for everybody? So that's that's my journey, David. No, no, I love it. What I really like about it is you've done many things at Cisco and you've seen many changes and uh, you've worked with many people. And I think there's a lot of experience that I want to tap into to try and help the next generation, help people who are just starting their journey. Before we get there, I need to ask you this really important question. Why are Indians so successful in tech and so successful in the US? Twitter's just got a new CEO. Uh, We've got Microsoft. We've got all of these tech titans, if you like, Google and so forth, that are run by Indian people. So why, why is that? I don't know if we want to, if we want to say Indians per se are successful, but but I, I sort of attribute this to the, uh, and I see that more even in India. When, when you look at a population in a certain city or state, for example, Mumbai or Bangalore, yeah. you in, in these bigger cities, you have an immigrant population. And I call that immigrant in a loose sense of the word, as in, people coming from their native place, moving into the city that they are completely unaware of, right? Yeah. So usually these personalities have this hunger of, I want to grow beyond where I am right now. I'm not happy with the state that I am in. Yeah. Whether it's good or bad, I don't know. But that's the mentality of, of these people. And I've seen that consistently even in the US. And I would not attribute just to Indians, I've seen other nationalities as well, right? And even, you know, there are uh, folks locally as well have that hunger mindset. But I think that mindset that really helps you because when you, your hunger still remains and you're figuring out how do I figure this entire ecosystem, apply myself and get to that next level. So it's always about how do I get to the next level? So I think that sort of mindset Uh, and applying themselves and constant growth mindset sort of gets people there. Also, the the education importance that Indian middle class have always offered, right? It's always about my parents never meddled with what what I'm doing, what I'm studying, but they, we will not get into this, but we want to make sure that you are coming out ahead. You're realizing your potential, right? You have the capacity to get at least in the top 10 in your class. If you're not doing that, then there's something wrong. So they're pretty strict about that. And that's uh, generally across majority of the middle class in India. And that's what you're seeing in, uh, you know, some of these uh, folks that have gotten to that. And that sort of stays in your brain and combined with hunger, uh, you, you continue to see how can I do more and how can I contribute more as you grow. I think that's what's probably getting it to this level. It's funny because when I was doing some research for this uh, interview, I uh, was looking and and I understand there's many other you know nationalities that are very successful in the US, but it seems there's this overwhelming you know percentage of H1B visas in the US that go to Indians and there's a huge in tech, you know Silicon Valley there's a huge Indian um, success rate, if you like. And one of those traits is humility. And I see that straight away when I, in yourself, it seems that Indian people tend to be more humble, more approachable. They, there's uh, some of the guys were saying in these sort of discussions that you, you get some leaders that are very arrogant, perhaps, and, I'm, and we won't point fingers, but you know, there's this trait with Indian leaders that they are very humble and they, 
they're used to working with lots of different cultures and lots of different people, and that really helps. So do you, do you think that's true? I think this, <laughs> I think it's a mix. Yes, I mean, for the, for the yep. majority, for the most part, you will find people who are humble because respecting elders, respecting, yeah. um, you know, your peers, all of that is an important part of Indian culture. You, yeah. You're not allowed to, yeah. uh, you are to address your relatives with that relationship name, not with, not with their name, yeah. right? So it's sort of, uh, you know, inculcated. I'm sure Southeast, uh, Southeast Asia has that um, culture. Uh, but I, I myself have seen uh, my personality evolve where I, I went from uh, introvert to figuring out how do, how do I present myself, yeah. how do I bring, yeah. you know, my voice, how do I find my voice and sort of present it in a way where I come across as confident in what I'm saying, but at the same time, I'm not offending others. Yeah. Of course, sometimes, you yeah. know, uh, some of the folks that have worked with me have have different names for me, but uh, it's, always, it's always like that. You know, good it's humor. Always like that. <laughs> yes. It's you, you can't please everyone. Yeah, and I mean another meme is like uh, it's in, interesting what you said about your parents, but there's this joke that. Um, and you know, I'm I, I haven't been in India, so I don't know. So this is why it's great to talk to you and get you know get a get a real story. You can study anything as long as you're a doctor or an engineer. That seems to be like one of the memes that goes around. So is that true? It, yes, um, it used it definitely was the case, and that's a belief I guess I grew up with. My dad was slightly different uh, in that he was about if you're studying well, just study what uh, you're capable of. Yeah. You know, if you get an engineering seat, it's okay. If you get a medical seat, it's okay. If you don't, then there are other streams you can study and you'll be something. Uh, I think more than that, my mother was always about, you've got to be independent financially. So that was her, uh, you know, statement uh, to both. Uh, we have three siblings to my, uh, you know, my sister and I. Of course, my brother, there's an expectation that you will work anyways, right? That was that is what motivated me, and uh, it's still sort of stuck in my head. The financial independent independence, um, but I never had that pressure. But I have seen most of the parents talking about engineering or doctor, and David, that mainly comes from the fact that uh, you know we didn't have a lot of privatization when we were growing up, right? Yeah. India was slowly opening up. And people wanted their kids to be in a better position uh, than they are. Engineering degree and doctor degree gave you that uh, better financial status in the society. And, you know, it all stems from that. So, uh, yes, that was the thing. Uh, and now I think those parents are giving a little bit of, so it's the next step, right? A little bit of more freedom to their kids in terms of choosing, uh, you know, what they want to do in life. So let me ask you this, if I am a young person, um, and we can do it at different ages, but let's say I'm 18 or um, I, I, I'm deciding what to study, or I've finished college and I've decided to do engineering or something, what would be your advice? So if you were advising young people today, because I believe you interview a lot of people um, and have over the years, what would you advise them to do? Is it like focus on something? Um, just give us your advice. How can I as a young person be successful? If I put myself in the shoes of a young person and you do the same, what would you advise us to do? It's it's a no-brainer that we have access to a lot of information, right? Yeah. 
Now, how do you leverage that information and how do you apply yourself? I think that becomes a differentiate, differentiating aspect for a, for a young person who's applying for a job. Um, when, when we uh, talk to many of these uh, college candidates, at least I personally look for how hunger, what kind of uh, passion or uh, the hunger that yeah. person has, yeah. no matter what kind of question is thrown at this person. And how do they, what's the thought process that they take to answer those questions? What framework uh, do they use? Uh, and things like that. The, the technology uh, and everything else can be taught. Uh, that is for your domain. And those things continuously change. Even we are learning things these days. Right? Yep. Even after being in this industry for a long time, you continuously learn and certify yourself. But in terms of uh, how hungry are you to, to do this? What are your uh, creativeness in terms of answering these questions? What's your thought process? Those are the things that are being looked at uh, most of the times. Uh, when I speak to my engineering, um, you know, uh, leadership or uh, even our own leadership, those are the aspects that they look for. For an 18-year-old, I think there's plethora of opportunities with the, the open source world. They can write their own programs and start selling those yeah. to many of the websites, right? And they can make a whole lot of money there. And when you showcase that kind of entrepreneurship, I think there's the opportunity is boundless, uh, regardless of where you are. I, I've interviewed a lot of people and they've said exactly the same. You need to get your work out there. The world isn't the way it was you, you know, many years ago. Now you can put your stuff on GitHub, you can create YouTube videos, you can do things. It sounds like you're suggesting exactly the same. Get your stuff out there, it doesn't matter how old you are. You know, if you're talking, you said there are people even from India that are asking you questions on how do I do this, right? Yeah. And it's a, depending yeah. on your personality, it's a it's a tough thing to do, getting your work out there and talking about yourself. Um, it's very, very difficult. Even for an extrovert, talking about yourself most of the time is just yeah, it's uh, something that people don't want to do. But unfortunately, if, if we get a resume, the first thing that you go do is look at LinkedIn, look at uh, any other you know published work that's out there, right? So you have to do it in a way where your authentic self shows up. You're not just publishing things that you have not done or you're not talking about things that you have not done. But bring your authentic self. Don't be too ostentatious, but at the same time, talk about what you have done. It is possible. Even I'm trying to find that middle ground because... Being in product management and part marketing, I need to be able to talk about myself either on LinkedIn or yeah. YouTube. And I've not done that. Uh, it's just something that just doesn't come to you naturally. You have to make it a forced function. But that's how the world is viewing uh, people these days. And you have to play that game. So you would suggest like, let's say I've just finished university and even if I'm at university, I should get my LinkedIn profile up to date. I should put stuff on LinkedIn that I'm doing because you as an employer are going to go and look at LinkedIn. Is that right? What I've seen some of the, uh, especially people coming out of Bachelor of Engineering, they talk about the, there is a project work that you get to do in the eighth cent, seventh or eighth cent. And people just talk about that in few lines. That is so 1990s, 
off late, people want to see, um, you know, what have you done during those, not the first year, but the three years of engineering. Have you started learning, uh, you know, something that pertains to my job? Have you showcased your work anywhere? Uh, whether it's for free, for money, it doesn't matter. But have you worked on something outside of the, the college required projects, right? Uh, those are the things that uh, that they that people look for in your interviews and when you, when your team interviews people what are the outstanding things in a candidate that you would look for you've mentioned hunger that's you've mentioned that twice now they need to be hungry is there anything else that you know you, when you interview a candidate you think you think okay this is the person i want to hire because they did something so are there any sort of highlights or things that you know outstanding candidates do that that you would want to mention for someone who who's preparing for an interview in our case uh, for product management we look for uh, people with a little bit more experience we don't yeah. hire straight yeah. out of engineering colleges uh, you know we look for candidates who have done some of the work either in a corporate world or on their own and they have um, and just by way of filtering criteria we go to mba schools but I don't, as a hiring manager, I've never made that a mandatory requirement because I myself do not have an MBA degree. What we look for is how do they uh, think through a certain problem? And in terms of business acumen, have they understood pertaining to, for example, if I take uh, Cisco product management aspect, have they understood what it means when we talk about revenue, what it means when we talk about margin? Uh, what it means when we talk about go to market? What does it mean when we talk about a product strategy? Do they are they confusing with uh, just day to day activities? Are they confusing that with certain specific products, or are they able to take a step back and look at the big picture? That's one aspect. The other aspect is the their personality itself. How well are they able to put forth their thoughts? How well are they able to articulate? And, um, you know, how positive are they about this? If they're just droning on and on. <laughs> I've heard candidates like that. And I'm like, do you really want to talk to me? Yes. I'm not so sure if yes. you want the job. Um, so, yeah. And if they have come prepared, there are many candidates. And being in India, you don't get a whole lot of people with networking background. Yeah. Uh, mainly because we don't have that many networking companies in India, right? I've received, uh, you know, candidatures from different companies and even from uh, chemical engineering, uh, from manufacturing world. But if they have done the homework to know what Cisco is and whatever their, uh, you know, opinion and viewpoints on how they want to, you know, uh, take a certain strategy to the next level or if they have any feedback and thought processes, that is very, very well appreciated. So doing your homework, being uh, proactive is very much appreciated. In the in, in an interview, it sounds like one of the first things is, you know, you must be hungry. You have to be prepared. You, you, you It's a bad idea to like go to 100 interviews. You, you should try when you go to an interview, um, be prepared for that specific job. So you know, know what the company is about. I think some people make the mistake, they just get a job and or get a job application and, and just arrive. And that's a big mistake. In India, are there any sort of tips with regards to, you know, basic stuff? Do you have to dress a certain way? Do you have to do things a certain way? What are the, like sort of tips for someone who, you know, they might be really nervous. Just from your experience, how would I approach 
a job with to be successful? Obviously, be prepared, uh, be hungry. Are there any other tips that you can give someone? Yeah, I mean, dress professionally. Try to articulate well um, because some uh, whether you like it or not, you know, people do subconsciously uh, monitor the language that the other person is using. Although, you know, we, we sometimes conscious, con- consciously say that it's okay, it's not that big of a deal. You know, we can manage with that. So dress professionally, nothing too fancy um, and uh, articulate your thoughts well Do not and be confident um, about whatever you're putting it across. If you don't know something, be straightforward about it and say, this is not something that I have looked at, but here is how I would solve it if I were to, you know, think about this. And that's okay too. That's perfectly fine. If you try to circumvent that and come across uh, in a way where I know everything yeah. and I'm going to solve it like this, people will see through that. So be be your authentic self and just appear, you know, uh, professional. I'm, I'm really glad you said that because I think a lot of people are nervous to say they don't know the answer. But I think for us who've been in the game for a long time, it's impossible to know everything. So from what you're telling me, it's not knowing the answer that's important. It's the process of thinking through or how to handle something that you don't know that's more important. Is that right? And I learned that, believe it or not, I used to think when I was studying engineering that I should know all the answers. Yeah. And I would get really scared if I didn't know the answer. I remember going into um, oral, there's a, there's a part of the exam that, that has oral, and we used to call it viva. And I, I used to be, uh, you know, very scared if I didn't know an answer to a question. And I learned it from some of the, the toppers in my class. And, uh, you know, I would, I, I would come back and say, crap, I didn't answer that well. I didn't know, the, you know, answer to that question. And I was like, I'm going to, it's doomsday and all of that stuff. And they would tell me that, why should you know the answer for everything? And no one knows. Just tell them you don't know and be done with it. So I learned it from my, uh, you know, uh, classmates and from my college mates. And that played a huge role in how I grew up. I mean, that's so important. You ca- you can't know everything. I mean, for me, like personally, knowing how to use Google is a really important skill because, I mean, to find like like information on sort of even access points or switches on Cisco's website. I mean, you, you can't know all those details. You just need to know how to find the information. From what you've t- told me, uh, hunger, you need to be prepared. You should be yourself. You've mentioned that a few times, the authentic self. When you say authentic self, it means tr- just be who you are because people will see through you. Is that right? If you try and pret- if you pretend to be something you're not. See through yourself is one thing. Uh, but for your own self, for your own sake, if you pretend to be someone and because you want that particular role or that particular job, you will soon, you yourself will soon realize after a one or two years, this is not something I want to do. And you'll, yeah. you'll find yourself miserable yeah. in that particular role. Yeah. In you know, 20 years back, uh, when jobs were not that easy to come by, you could still convince yourself that I will get through this for financial reasons or for whatever other reasons for a few years and then I will do something that that fits me well. But you don't have that kind of situation right now. It doesn't matter whether you're looking at metros or you're looking at tier two and tier three cities. There are so many opportunities in India that 
you just have to figure out based on the information that's available what is it that that pulls you the most i mean not all aspects of that role you may like but you should yeah. look at it and think about yourself yes i could you know be in that for 2 to 3 years and that's about the time where after that you probably get fatigued and want to do something else but you will be more miserable than than worrying about whether others see through you or not but yes others will see through you you don't want to do something every day that you hate i always like to say try and do what you love because people always ask me this question david should i do cybersecurity should i do networking should i do cloud and the answer is you should do what's right for you i would say you you see if you can get an opportunity in that space try it for a year or two yeah and you will feel you will figure it out whether you like it or not or you may figure out some sub streams in that that you may like So unless you try it out you may not know for most of us people like us but there are some people who are extremely clear i'm jealous of them um, <laughs> they know exactly what they want to do so <laughs> yeah exactly i mean and i think it's really important what you what you what you've said then also like your career path you've done many things i get a lot of questions on youtube and other places from younger people and they want to know exactly the path in life and it's it's not like straight is it it's like It's often a, a walk like this, and I like what you've said there. You, you, if you try something and you, you don't enjoy it after a year or two, there's no shame in trying something else. Our careers are not a straight line. We can do many, many things, and you've done a lot of things in your life. And, and if you see many of the leader, many of the you know the the people, the CEOs, the, the senior vice presidents, they've done so many things, and most of them, when I when I hear them, they say. broaden your base learn about different aspects and then you know try to grow whatever works for you however and opportunities will present itself that's one of the things that um, that happened to me right uh, opportunities in certain cases presented themselves and i grabbed those opportunities maybe i was at the right place at the right time uh, there may be others thinking why did she get it and why didn't i get it who knows the answer to those things but when the opportunities present themselves give it a try who knows where it takes you and uh, you all know I keep saying that you know uh, the industry won't remain the same it's all about the skill set and you will have to continuously educate yourself reinvent yourself and it's the pace is getting that much more uh, faster as as the years go by so Don't be afraid of this, or don't be ashamed of it. So, I mean, have you ever felt imposter syndrome? Have you ever felt that you're not, you know, some people feel they're not the right person for that job? Like some people say, I won't get this job because I don't feel I'm a hundred percent ready for it. Would you say, no, go for it, even if you're not, you know, you you don't feel you're a hundred percent right for it? Yeah, uh, many people have come and asked me that. Sometimes you also, <laughs> when you look at a job description, you go. Will they hire me? Yeah. Uh, because you know I've not done this, I've not done this, and I've not done this. Thankfully, I had uh, mentors early on in my life who told me that you don't worry about the, those things. It's it's hiring manager's headache. You want that job, you go, you know, ask for it, and you go interview for that. That you do your part. Let them figure out whether you're ready for it or not. Because when you go speak to them. your personality comes out and how, what you want to do for that job comes out and why you want to do that job comes out right more than what your qualifications are so that's that plays a very important part in an interview and for hiring managers 
So uh, I had excellent mentors and, and I continue to have that. And I have a good, uh, you know, conversation with my husband as well. So we discuss a lot uh, uh, career-wise between him and I. So I think the, the advice that I got early on was you don't worry about what you want to, you know, your, if you have at least 50 to 60%, just go talk to them. Because not no one is no one has hundred percent of the qualifications. Hiring managers put all of that yep. because that's their dream worker. Yep. <laughs> you have to yep. deal with what you get in the pool, right? So I and I advise the same to many people who come to me, especially since I'm in product management. There is a notion amongst people, and especially women, that hey, that means that's uh, a travel job. And I have a family, will I be able to do it? How many travels a month, how many travels a quarter and so on and so forth. Uh, so I've always advised that, you know, you don't overthink it, right? Don't think about the, about, you know, several years down the road, assuming that you've already got a job. Show your passion for the job. Show the fact that you want that job and here is your preparation for that. Travel is one aspect of product management. So you you go and have a conversation. Once the hiring manager thinks you are the right person, then have a conversation about all these things. And usually, most likely uh, than not, many people are flexible. Right? If the candidate is yes. right, many people are flexible. So I, I just feel that you know sometimes we overthink ourselves and then um, you know be a blocker or uh, our own blockers more than anybody else. And I think that's exactly right. I mean, you've got to believe in yourself. And the figure that you used was on a job application, if they have a whole bunch of things, if you've got 50 to 60% of those, then go for it. Is that that what you said? Whenever I discuss this with a few of my colleagues, both men and women, they say, you know know what? Those boys, they thought they could do 20% of it and they just went and applied for it. And this girl, she was standing there and thinking that she had 80%. She didn't have the 20% and she didn't want to apply. I didn't know this, uh, but apparently, you know, people do that. So uh, that's why I take that and I keep advising to folks that just go to unequally to both. Even men come and say, oh, there's a lot of travel involved and I have a family and I may not be able to do that. It's the same advice to both of them. I think that's really it's really important because I've looked at job applications, um, entry level network engineer CCIE, and I mean that's the standing joke. It's like, what do you mean entry level with CCIE? Um, it sounds like a lot of these job applications, like you said, are just a wish list, and you mustn't let that stop you. So tell me about the job market in India. Is you you've said it's a lot hotter, if you like, or that it's a lot busier than it was. So are there a lot of opportunities for young people if they want to get into IT? For and let's use Cisco as an example. I mean, it's a big tech company. Um, are there a lot of opportunities? Uh, how would they? How would someone go about finding a job? I mean, not just Cisco alone. There are uh, many uh, multinational yeah. companies, many Indian yeah. origin companies. You know, many many startups. We all, uh, there are there are a bunch of opportunities that they can find a uh, skill set match for. So I think the, uh, obviously LinkedIn, and I'm not, you know, I'm not a promoter for LinkedIn, but that's what I use a lot. A- and many other job hunting websites. I think the important thing is don't just 
post one resume and think that you will be able to get a job because there yeah. are hundreds of people. We have a lot of population. Of course, we have a lot of jobs, but at yeah. the same time, people wanting to get to that are also many. So just posting one, one resume and thinking that you will be able to uh, get that job should not be the uh, should not be your attitude. What I would recommend is look for all of these first the internet piece. Look for all of these websites and make sure you're uploading your uh, standard resume. And then uh, go look for the companies which are your dream companies. And then maybe you, you, even in your dreams you have uh, higher dreams, you have mid-tier dreams. Yeah. So look for those companies. Yeah. And look for the kind of roles that they have available and tailor your resume to that and post it on their portal as well. Then the most important aspect is get hold of maybe your friend or friend's friend or anybody that works in that company who can forward this resume. Because the companies always uh, give more weight to the resumes that come through their employees than uh, you know, just a pool. Because for, when it comes from a pool, they're looking for keyword searches. That's a fourth thing where you make sure for that particular role that you're applying, while you're tailoring, your keywords match the, the role that they have. So when all of these don't work, don't lose hope, rinse and repeat. You will be able to get a job that you're looking for. It may not be that dream job right away, but there will be, if you aim for that dream job, maybe in the mid-tier, and then you can advance yourself. Don't lose hope, but keep working uh, through that. But if you definitely put in the effort, definitely there will be a place and you will be able to realize your dreams. That's great. I mean, what's your advice about, uh, some people have advised on LinkedIn, don't just post stuff there, but also try and set up connections to people in the industry that you want to get into. Would you advise that? I don't, so I, I do get um, a, a lot of like the cold call connections, yes. right? I saw your yeah. uh, profile and this is what I'm interested in. I respond to, respond to them uh, just because I know that I was in such a place yeah. several years ago. Yeah. But not everybody will have the time for it. Yeah. So I don't know if that will work well. But what may work is look for in your connections, maybe there is somebody that you went to college with and that person has a connection with someone else in that particular company. See if that person can introduce you yeah. to the person who works in that company. And that may work better than just, you know, triggering an email and, and talking to them. It sounds like the advice is don't just cold call if you like, or don't just send like a blank, sorry, um, like uh, cold emails, try and get a connection in the company or find a friend of a friend who can introduce you. Is, is that the advice? Yeah. And it, and it's easy to obtain given how we are, um, you know, you have a lot of social media tools, right? Yeah. It's not just LinkedIn. Um, yeah. You can figure out who's connected to who using various different tools. I don't want to talk about those, but you can definitely, you you can figure out a person's life through social media these days. That's why I'm so scared to put up anything on social media. I mean, use it to your advantage uh, for when it comes to getting a role. It will definitely work. It's interesting. I mean, that um, at one point in my life, I was very scared to put anything on social media. And I had like all my accounts private. And you know what? When I decided to post stuff, 
then the world opened. You know, for all the bad things of social media, I'm a very big uh, promoter of if you want to get further in life, social media is a great way to do that. And we we talk about, we've just spoken about LinkedIn, a social media um, sort of website, especially if you're starting out. I, I like what you said earlier where you said, um, put your work out there, put it on somewhere, but get known for the work that you've done. Uh, work on open source projects, even if you um, you haven't got a job, but you can start working on stuff. You can start contributing to to the community. You can even make money these days based on that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's. I think it's. It's. I, I love what you said about being hungry, and I think being proactive. I've I've seen young people, you know, even sixteen year olds, make a lot of connections in the industry and get known. I think sometimes younger people have an advantage because they grew up with social media. So so use it. You, just tell us a bit more of your story because I wasn't quite sure I, I got it. How did you manage to move from India to the US and what advice would you give someone if they were trying to move to Canada or the US? During my engineering days, I think I studied in BMS College of Engineering in Bangalore. You know, I had very good friends and my you know, college mates I think it's the environment that sort of made me think of um, these moving to and studying in foreign universities. So that's the thought or the seed uh, came to my mind because of that environment. Yeah. And um, yeah. I had great friends who really pushed me and propelled me to sort of think through that and think of various ways uh, to make that happen. You know, I come from a lower middle class uh, family, so financially not very well off at that time, yeah. uh, at least to go to foreign yeah. universities, right? I had taken loan uh, to complete my engineering course. But still, I, I think it's just the, the craziness in my mind uh, for me to even think about it. And also uh, a close friend of mine who uh, really pushed me to think about that worked through that and uh, my biggest support apart from the close friend was my dad yeah um, and he yeah. despite I can't imagine you know being in their situation today if I were to do that to my kids would I would I be such a risk taker I don't know yeah um, so yeah. given not in a great financial position but my dad was a risk taker and uh, he said yes I believe in you I trust in you Let's figure out how do we fund this till you get scholarship, which I got after a quarter um, in the U.S., how you would get a scholarship, and then uh, we'll support you through that. So that was, he was my biggest supporter at that time and uh, was able to do that. It, because of the environment that I had in the college and the support and figuring out different ways of getting this done. Now, while I was doing this, of course, I'm only talking about supporters, there were also other people who were, who were showing me the reality of the situation, saying, yeah. you're dreaming too big. I mean, this is oh, just, wow. uh, you are oh, just wow. out of your mind, right? Yeah. It again comes back to the craziness of my mind and I think the risk taker and uh, the support that I got from my friend, um, I can never you know, forget that. that. That is something that's always at the back of my mind and I keep wondering every now and then, would I be my dad if, if I were in that situation? I don't know the answer to that. But I mean, so you were really hungry and you had this big dream to move to the US. 
Then you you went and studied a master's in the U.S., is that correct? That's and, right. And then you got a scholarship to stay on. And then while you were in the U.S., then you started finding jobs after you, after you completed your studies. Then you got a job in the U.S., is that correct? Correct. That's right, yeah. So what advice would you give someone who wanted to, you know, their dream is to go and work for Cisco in Silicon Valley or Google or some company you know, well-known company in, in, in Silicon Valley. Do you have any sort of tips from your experience and what you've seen others do? I, I think the, the these companies look for you know, how much, what, what kind of qualification you have and what kind of homework have you done to, to sort of realize your dream of working in that company and how well do you fit for that role from from your homework standpoint, right? And most of these companies have a rigorous interview process where they have multiple different people talk to you and so that they understand uh, you from uh, different diverse uh, viewpoints. Yeah. So be prepared for that and, and uh, be prepared to sort of, if you get a negative as an answer, don't lose heart. Because there's always a second uh, chance and a third chance. Uh, these companies do not look at this and go, oh, that person is already interviewed. I'm not going to interview that person again. Uh, that's never the case. Um, you know, we, we always feel that we see so many uh, bright talents and you have so little wrecks that are open. Yeah. So uh, we yeah. always shortlist the ones that we thought couldn't make that cut for whatever that minute reason yeah. at the end. Yeah. Uh, and we always reach back out to them. Look for that role. Uh, again, homework, uh, proactive, uh, you know, finding out about that role and how does your background suit that or how does your personality align to that? What's the, some of, what are the works that you've done that align to that? All of that helps um, with these companies. Apart from obviously the domain knowledge and, and things like that. It's very interesting because you, you, you keep saying that um, don't just focus on the like the tech piece, but also look at the pieces around that. Is it really important to keep a record of all the work you've done over the, over you know, if, even if it's months or, or years? It's quite funny when I, even within Cisco, when I've changed roles, they interview people, right? Yeah. So I, I go through my work again, and it's I hate doing that. <laughs> you know, going back and thinking about, oh, gosh, what did I do? I don't even want to recollect that. But I, I sit and write down uh, things that I've done, and, and most of the times I don't have a good memory. Um, so I, I go ask my colleagues, hey, how was that? And, and some of the minute things that I've left out, actually sometimes that may be relevant to what the hiring manager is looking for. So... Um, I, I sort of jot down all that and, um, you know, I go reproduce away in the interview that these are the things that I feel and, you know, I've done is relevant for the job here. Here is why I'm looking for this job, because there's always a growth aspect. You, you contribute and you also want to learn from that job, right? There's also a learning element and the contribution element. So that that aspect also should come out when you're talking to the hiring manager. And there's another aspect um, when, when you brought this out, I just remembered, there is a position called distinguished engineer in Cisco. Yeah. And, um, yeah. and, and you know, uh, we say that's like a coveted position because very few people, very few techies get that role. When they, before giving to that, 
um, I remember talking to one of the distinguished engineers and him mentioning me how, you know, how thorough the process was. He had to, I don't know if you know this name, he's a quite famous name and I respect him and he's very well respected in the industry, Carl Solder. Um, so he's, yeah. um, you know, he mentioned to me how he had to go all the way back to his pre-sales days in Australia and, you know, uh, chronologically uh, talk about the uh, the customer interviews, the the work that he has done, the deals that he has won, and how he had to go through all that. What are some of the innovations that he has worked on? All of that angle. So no matter whether you're starting out or you're you know applying for something else, yes, you have to go back and look for what you've done and you know associate that to uh, where you want to go next. I love that. I mean, I um I was talking to um, someone who's I won't mention the name, but another person that I highly respect who's also going for distinguished engineer. Very rigorous process. It sounds like um, it's 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 interesting that you've said keep track of what you've done, even if it's going far back. So when you're interviewing someone, would you put more weight? And it's a diff- this is a difficult question, but so the, let's say someone's got a really excellent technical but difficult personality or would you rather choose someone who's perhaps not the very best technical but they ability but they they got a good personality and they'll fit well in the team where would you put more weight on I, a combination of technical and uh, personality yeah uh, by personality it's a big no yeah it doesn't matter how good you are technically yeah if you cannot be a team player yeah. uh, it's just not going to work out I'm glad you said that because I think, you know, for me as well, if I interview someone, it doesn't matter how good you are. If you're going to bring bad blood or bad vibes, whatever you want to say it to the team, you don't want that person on your team. I've seen um, people come in. I mean, you cannot always control it because you yeah. inherit teams or you go into teams yeah. uh, that are already yeah. set up. What is a bad personality for me may be a good personality for someone else. I don't know. I haven't figured that one out yet. But I've seen such uh, characters where we've had to, you know, we've had to sort of deal with that and and how badly that affects the morale of the yeah. team. Yeah. It's just unbelievable uh, the, the the cleanup that you have to do. Uh, and every yeah. time you have to sort of motivate people who get, you know, bruised by this kind of uh, behavior, it's yeah. just unbelievable. You don't want that kind of headache. That's an encouragement for someone who says, okay, I'm not at the top of my class, but I am a good team player. I think that's important to remember that you don't have to be the very, very best. You can be very successful, even if you're perhaps not the very, very best in some specific domain. Um, but I want to ask you, like, this is a difficult question. Are degrees important for, for someone who wants a job in India? And what about certification? So you mentioned you got you did CCNA, CCMP, and you went for your CCIE. And it sounded like that helps you a lot in your career. Is Are degrees important? Are certs important? What, what, what would you advise? Um, it, it really, David, it really differs uh, from people to people. If, if I were to just go by how I've seen the, uh, from my experience, yeah. Um, yeah. At least about 60 to 70% of engineering leaders, just to in terms of filtering candidates, they will look for degrees, they will look for certifications, all kind of you know good background, the, the pedigree and, and all of that stuff. Yeah. 
And there are other, you know, 30 to 40 percent that that look for what the candidate brings to the table. It doesn't matter whether you don't have a degree or not. But the problem with that is, I mean, this 40 percent, they won't get to know of people uh, without the right degree. Because you get, you know, you get so many resumes and you use a certain filtering, filtering criteria to get people or, or to get certain resume to yep. start talking, right? So that's that's the only reason why we say degree. Um, but you may have done certain skill set um, that make you probably more relevant than somebody else who has a better degree. But you won't be visible because of the filtering criteria that we have set up in the industry. I myself, you know, I've always said this, many people have come and asked me, and I've always said this, I don't look for a certain degree, nor do I look for a certain certification. And, and I've told you the criteria that I look for, but I've not seen the same with others. And I think it's not that they don't want to do it. Uh, it's just that, you know, they have to hire a lot of people and they need to look for certain criteria to filter yeah. uh, through the pool that they're getting. Yeah, I think that's that's important. I mean, if you, I always say, get the certs to get past HR or to get to the interview, and then shine in the interview. I think you, you've kind of said the same thing. Where you need to you need to get past the filters. You need to get past the automated filters, and that's where degrees and certs are important here. This is a question that I've been thinking about for a long time. I've got two young daughters. Uh, one's ten. One's fifteen. You've been in the industry. Would you recommend? that I tell my daughters tech is a good field for women and how would you suggest that they approach it? So just give me your advice so that I can give it to them or to other women who want to break into tech or, you know, from your experience, what would you advise? I, I don't think there's anything different for women um, compared to men. Most initial years, I didn't even, I didn't even, it didn't even occur to me that I was the only woman in the room within Cisco's conference rooms or, uh, or you know, meetings and things like that. They didn't make me feel that way. I didn't feel that way. I guess it's just the, the mindset and the mentality. So, David, I, don't, I, I think it's more than the tech industry. It's the, the society, right? It's yeah. how, um, yeah. what the society is expecting of them when they join the workforce and um, society as in your immediate uh, family members, how do you respond to that kind of expectation? Are you saying that, sure, since you expect me to not take on a job that I want, I will do so? Or do you sit and talk about, hey, here are the things that I want to do and I will not give up just because you want me to give up? So I think that's the conversation. Now, there are people who do not, and both men and women, right? They, they don't want to have be in a certain role where you have to make a lot of decisions and, and stuff like that, which is okay. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with yeah. that. But if you want to do something, then, and if your environment is not supportive, then you need to have a clear conversation on that, or you just need to change the environment yeah. <laughs> to make yourself you know, to make it suitable for you. So uh, I think that's that's what I would say. But the tech industry, I know I'm glad we are having this conversation. I think the tech industry is having this conversation. Yep. And everybody yep. is seriously looking at this. We need um, diversity in thought process. Yep. And that's why we're looking at gender. We're looking at nationality. We're looking at race, various other stuff. 
I'm glad we're having this conversation, but you know, e- even the individual has to um, make sh- make it very clear that they want to progress in that direction and not get bogged down by things that are going on in the environment. I, th- I think the problem is, you know, there's we've we've got too few women in tech. So how do we convince more women to get into tech? Or how, like I just use my daughters as an example. They've got their passions already. I think they're really focused on what they want to do. But if I was g- going to advise them to get into tech, you know, is there any, adv- I, I, how would you advise me to advise them? I think there are a um, few things, right? Uh, you, you talked about first and foremost, the, the point zero is don't think, uh, don't have that uh, barrier in your mind that I'm a girl or I'm, I'm a woman and I'm not fit to be in this industry. Because yeah. that's something that uh, I think the other day I was just mentioning this where um, my girls who are in um, you know uh, middle school yeah. and my boy who's also in middle school, they my girls, both of all three of them are really good in what they do. But the, the thought process is so it was very interesting to observe. My girls, all of a sudden, started thinking that, oh, this is very difficult. I won't be able to do. And it started coming from a math angle. I said, where the hell this is, is this coming from? And you've, you've been doing fine. The more I observe, I feel that they get, they're probably getting it from their the friend circle. Yeah. And then yeah. once I started pointing it out to them, once I was telling them that you're not to put that in your mind, just go through the problems. And if you don't know how to solve it, just get help and solve it. Do not put it, do not put a bias in your mind, right? For whatever reason that may be. Whereas on the other hand, my boy and his friends are like, oh, you know, math is so easy. I just don't <laughs> want to do it. <laughs> so I don't know. It's just that whatever they put in their brain. So that needs to that should not even go in. And if it goes in, it needs to be monitored and taken out. The second thing is as you enter, so people entering in from college into tech industry, what we've observed is there's a healthy ratio between gender, yeah. two different genders. Yeah. Now, as they grow in life, um, due to various life events, we see, uh, we see a change in the ratio. And that's where I was talking about the, the social environment that uh, brings it. And uh, the other aspect that we keep talking about is the um, unconscious bias or the subconscious bias, where I've heard uh, some of the managers say, this person is going to get married. Probably this person is not fit for travel and, um, you know, or this person is not fit for working on this high priority project. So what I was saying was when you get to the, the, the life events part, right, after a few years of entering the workforce, there is one aspect of you yourself deciding what to do when the life event, event occurs. The second one is uh, accepting what the management thought process puts on you, which is essentially, you know, taking a very simple example. Oh, this person's getting married. She may not be available for a certain project. Again, I always suggest that one is corporation is working to sort of get rid of this unconscious or slash subconscious bias that management may or may not have. Um, but the other aspect is also the employees, the individual contributors, if they sense this, they need to have an open conversation 
with their management and say, I am available for this and I want to work on this. I've mentioned this multiple times throughout my career. I've always gone and asked, what else can I do? What is the next step for me? So do not ever shy away from doing that. Because some, most of the times what is taught to you is, you know, let your work speak for yourself. Let them come and ask you. Rarely does that ever happen. You have to go um, ask and you have to go talk about it. Uh, so that is, as you grow higher up in the career ladder, you need to be able to figure out how do I address this? And then as you, you know, your family expands, you need to figure out how do I get more help? Uh, to make this work? How do I make my partner an equal partner in this, in this life? That's a very, very, very important aspect because if, if you don't have a partner that believes that, you know, both of you can work together on this, it becomes more of a burden, whether you're working or not. I think that element is very key. And the corporations obviously cannot help you more on the personal front. Yeah. They are looking at yeah. figuring out how do we remove this unconscious and subconscious bias and it'll take time because that's yeah. um, you know one of one of uh, my mentors who was a VP in Cisco gave me this interesting revelation that you learn about the other gender by looking at your um, for example if I have to learn about male I, I will know about it from my father yeah. my brother and my husband same thing for men, yeah. mother, wife, and uh, daughter. And interestingly, uh, I had that experience happen to me firsthand. When I, uh, you know, when I was made a manager for a team, one of the team members was really agitated. And I was not sure why that agitation was. So I sat and had a discussion with that person. And the person said, uh, look, I've never had a woman manager and I don't know how this is going to work. I said, that's fine. I'm glad you brought that up. I'm glad we're having a transparent conversation. Let's figure out how do we make this work and, you know, let's come back a year later and discuss this again. And then later on, he comes in, uh, you know, now we are, we exchange what needs to be done and he the person comes to me whenever he's in a fix and things like that. But later on, I realized that it's because uh, that person you know, was nice enough to share with me. It's because um, he, you know, he, he had a view of women from his wife and mother. And he thought for some reason he assumed I would be the same. Basically, I, I think we, you learn about different gender in that fashion, but we need to make sure that this kind of biases sort of weed itself out. It will take time, uh, but I'm very confident that as and when the next generation comes in, uh, we will progress in the right direction. I'm really glad to. He I'm glad you're sharing that because it's um, for my daughters. It's like, do they want to do it? And if they really, really want to do it, I want to support them as much as I can as their father. I want to, you know, help them reach their dreams. And um, I think every parent wants to do the best they can for their kids. Like your father invested in your dreams. We all want to invest in the dreams of our kids. From, from my point of view, you know, I would, I would support them as, in anything. If they wanted to become an engineer, I would love them to do that and support them in that. So thank you so much for sharing. Lovey, it's uh, been a long time. So I'm going to 
ask you, have you got any closing thoughts or anything else you want to share with the community? Any advice from your experience? Yeah, I think we, um, David, I think we, we, you know, you mentioned uh, you have a lot of followers who who ask you about, um, hey, I have a single device. How do I, you know, get into the tech world? Um, since that's sort of the, the theme here uh, for our conversation, I want to make sure I tell these kids or even youngsters that, you know, world is your opportunity with, with so much of information that's available to you. Yeah. Even with a small device, you will be able to unlock many doors. Uh, the main thing you need is that um, relentless pursuit, yeah. the tenacity um, that you need to bring uh, to the table and pursue it. You will definitely get to what, where you want to be or wherever you want to head towards. Of course, there's a little bit of you know luck element in yeah. everybody's life, but that will happen if you if you continue to pursue. Um, you know, pursue this angle because technology is democratizing many of the things as we see it. So keep at it, just like Nike's ad, right? Just do it. I love that because I think it's, um, I just want to talk a bit more about that. It's um, with the internet and all the information out there, even if you've just got one device that you can learn from or use, there's so much information. I mean, just us sharing this kind of information was very hard to get hold of. Um, years ago. I think it goes back to what you've mentioned about its passion. You you have to be hungry. And if you have that hunger and you have that drive, you can succeed even if you, you're limited by perhaps money or, you know, the devices that you have. So that's brilliant. Lavi, thank you so much for sharing your experience. Thank you so much for, you know, giving your view of things. I'm going to ask the audience, please put questions below. Maybe I can convince Pallavi to come back again. If you have any other questions that I didn't ask in this interview, please put them below. Pallavi, thanks so much. Thank you, David. Thanks for the opportunity. I hope this was uh, helpful and I hope the audience finds it useful. I'm sure they will. Thank you. Thank you.